Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the trolley problem, Judith Jarvis Thompson is considering the sorts of cases originally brought forward for our consideration by Philippa Foote, some of them involving trolleys, some of them involving surgeons, some involving hospitals and poison gas and things like that. And in each of these, there is some sort of trade-off that has to take place, the death of five people or the death of one. And these interesting problems, puzzles, conundrums, dilemmas ask us not just to decide the case, but to explain why it is that some things are morally permissible, perhaps even morally required, and why other things would be morally prohibited when they seem to produce similar effects. Now, Philippa Foote's original solution to these issues, framed in terms of the original trolley problem where you're the trolley driver and the surgeon who could take a living person's five organs without their consent, killing them in the process to transplant them and save five people, these are originally dealt with by making this fundamental distinction between killing and letting die. The idea is that Although letting people die is not a good thing, sometimes avoiding killing another person can trump letting a larger number of people die. And so there's a, a moral difference between these two. Now, if it's a matter of killing people and both options involve killing people, actively doing something that kills people, then you can go by the numbers. You can say, well, we'll look at this in kind of utilitarian way. We will minimize the amount of harm by, you know, letting the trolley run over one person rather than five people. But in the case of the surgeon who could take the one person's organs, who is conscious, who has said, no, no, I don't want to do this. What we have is a case of killing one person versus allowing five people through inaction, through not providing them with organ transplants, to die. And so Foote says, okay, well, that's the difference between these kinds of cases. Thompson says, okay, let's, let's dig into this. We're going to frame this in terms of some theses. And she frames this in terms of some principles, right? She says, killing one is worse than letting five die. She's actually arguing, Thompson, that that's not true. Although Foote does think that it's true. So she says, I've been arguing that this is false and that it cannot be appealed to to explain why the surgeon may not operate in the case I shall call transplant. I think a lot of people would actually buy that thesis, though, that killing one person is worse than letting five die or two people die or perhaps 10 people. The other theses that she brings up are killing five is worse than killing one. I think pretty much everybody is going to buy into that. And there's some questions, though. Does that tell us what we want? She says, there's two ways we can go here. We can say that two does tell us the surgeon ought to operate. And that shows that that proposition, killing one is better or killing five is worse than killing one. That shows that that would be false because we shouldn't have the surgeon operating. Or we can say this doesn't tell the surgeon that they ought to operate, and therefore it's actually a true proposition. In which case, how is it relevant, right? 
Then she goes on and she introduces another one where she, which she calls two prime. She says, if a person is faced with a choice between doing something here and now to five by the doing of which he will kill them and doing something else here and now to one by the doing of which he will kill only the one, then other things being equal, he ought to choose the second alternative rather than the first. Notice the three qualifications there, right? Here and now versus here and now, not here and now versus down the line or here and now versus in the past. The doing of which will kill, right? And there's also the other things being equal. All of these would have to apply. And she says that if that's the case, then we can take this to tell us that the driver ought to and hence permissibly may turn the trolley and trolley driver, right? At the same time, it doesn't tell us anything at all what the surgeon ought to do in transplant because he's not confronted by such a choice. If the surgeon operates, he does do something by the doing of which he will kill one. But if the surgeon doesn't operate, he does not do something. He refrains from doing something. He merely fails to act. And she says, I have no objection to this shift in attention from two to two prime, but it's not really helping us. And so what is the insight that she has here? It's quite quite good. And this shows how bringing philosophy and its capacity for making distinctions to bear on these kinds of cases can help us to better understand what we ought to do. She says, kill and let die. These concepts that Foote is saying we can use to resolve this are too blunt to be useful tools for the solving of the problem. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? There's nothing wrong with the distinction itself. But for these kinds of problems, they don't go, the distinction doesn't go deep enough. We need something more. We have to get, as they say, a little bit more granular. So maybe what we have to do then, she suggests, is focus on the ways in which the agents would be carrying these out, carrying out killing and letting die. So how can we approach that? I mean, one way would be to look at it from the point of view of a utilitarian, but that's just going to focus on the consequences. She's saying it's not just the consequences and it's not just the nature of the action itself that's going to give us our solution. We need something more. How? What are the ways which are going to turn out in, in effect to be the means for killing or letting die in these kinds of cases. So she brings up the Kantian second formulation of the categorical imperative. If, if you don't know Immanuel Kant's great works and his moral philosophy, here's sort of a thumbnail sketch. He came up with some rules, some very general rules that apply to tell us what is morally right, what is morally wrong, what's demanded of us, what we should avoid doing, and how we can tell that an action is in, in fact, you know, not just the right action to do, but has the right motive. And he came up with several formulations of the categorical imperative. The second formulation says, act always so as to treat humanity in yourself and in others, never as a mere means, but always as an end, which does include the possibility of treating humanity in other people or oneself as both an end and a means. The point is we shouldn't just use people for some sort of purpose. And it could be something like just using somebody in order to get physical pleasure from the engagement with their body or to get access to a party that you want to go to, right? Or to have them spend money on you and buy you consumer goods or experiences that you want. That's using people, right? So 
in this case, this would be much less trivial than those were using somebody in the sense of killing them. This applies particularly to the case of the surgeon, right? Because he is deliberately using the young man who comes in for a medical checkup and says, says to this person, listen, I want to take your organs. It's going to result in you dying, but it's going to save five people. I'm going to use you as a means to the end of saving five other people. And the guy actually says, you know, I sympathize, but no, no, I will not give consent to this. So doing this against their consent is really a clear case of using them. Now she goes on and she, she expresses some puzzles. I personally think that these are not particularly great objections, even though I'm not a conscient myself. She says, what exactly is it to treat a person as a means only or to use a person? Why exactly is it wrong to do this? These questions do not have obvious answers. They don't have obvious answers when you frame them like that, but Kant does provide us and many conscients do provide us with some great answers. And then she raises a problem, a case that's kind of a quibble. And it's this, it's with the trolley problem. Instead of having the tracks diverge and then never converge again, instead imagine that the tracks are on a loop. So the only way to actually stop the trolley is not just with the means of pulling the switch, which by itself is okay, right? But the trolley's on a loop and the five people are thin, the one person is fat, the mass of the fat person, the mass of the five people is sufficient to stop the trolley from continuing on down the loop, killing the other people. In this case, it sounds like when you save the five people by flipping the switch and having the trolley hit the one fat person, you are using that one fat person as a means to prevent the trolley from going around and hitting the other. And this is, I think, is, is actually not a very good objection. But she goes on and she says that, I should think there is no plausible account of what is involved in or what is necessary for the application of the notions, treating a person as a means only or using one to save five under which the surgeon would be doing this, whereas the agent in this variant of bystander would not be. If that's right, then appeals to these notions can't do the work required of them there. Let's grant that to her, right? So then how else can we understand what's going on in these ways in which, or the means by which we're saving five and killing one? So she says there's two facts that about this trolley problem where you throw the switch, turning the trolley onto the right-hand track, causing the one to be hit by the trolley, saving the five. There's two facts about what he does that seem to me to explain the moral difference between what he does and what the agent in transplant, the surgeon, would be doing if he proceeded. Now, this is actually quite good. This is going to be a distinction that's going to turn up playing an important role a little bit later on in it. Saving five not just in any way whatsoever, but saving five by making what threatens them threaten only one. So she brought up cases, for example, not just of runaway trolleys, but avalanches, you know, poison gas, these sorts of things. If what you're doing is essentially diverting the threat that threatens the five so that it no longer threatens them and only threatens one, then that's an important issue. Now, couldn't you raise a problem that the, the fundamental threat 
that the people who are going to die of organ failure have is or indeed organ failure, and that if you were to take out the organs from the young man, well, he would die of organ failure as well. You probably could say that, but that's not a very good quibble, because what really what you're doing is not just <laughs> damaging the organs, you're taking them out altogether so that you can transplant them into somebody else, and you're, you're causing the death in that way. So I think that possible objection doesn't really touch this. This is going to be quite important and is going to allow her a little bit later to talk about an important, we could call it qualifier or proviso that makes an exception. The other thing that she says, the other fact, and this is going to lead us into a much longer discussion, is that the person making the decision, engaging in the action, does not use means that infringe the one person's rights. Now, that's going to require a lot more unpacking and discussion because on its face, it would seem like, well, you are infringing on their rights because you're killing them. They have a right to life. But maybe there's a way of understanding the concept of rights that allows us to squeeze these things in, these kinds of actions. So these two facts would be sort of a replacement for Kantian approach. There would also be a replacement for a utilitarian approach or, or other approaches. And this is the way that Thompson thinks we really need to go in order to figure out why the bystander at the switch can or perhaps even should flip the switch, whereas the surgeon in a transplant ought not to do that. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.